Good morning, and welcome back to Zoom with Zarni. It, it is Sunday morning, uh, February, or, <laughs> December 20th. Uh, time is a construct. Uh, we're, looks, uh, we're about a little less than a week uh, from Christmas, and I'm very happy to bring with you my conversation today with David Dreisen, uh, SU Professor of Law. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation about uh, the uh, effects of the president's litigation, the merits of that on uh, the presidential election, and whether th this is a long-term trend or a, uh, a short-term, uh, you know, uh, happening that can be solved with a quick correction. Uh, um, spoiler, it really depends on what we do from here <laughs> regarding it. And that leads to what I wanted to talk about uh, as an introduction today, a, a story broke yesterday with the New York Times that the president um, is uh, having high level conversations with his closest advisors um, about the merits of having the military uh, overtake uh, certain states and have them redo the election. This is a uh, wild theory uh, thrown out there by uh, Michael Flynn, who was part of the conversations, a convicted traitor to the United States, I might add. <laughs> he, uh, he, he pled guilty to being an agent of a foreign government, but uh, whatever. Uh, and, and then, of course, he also talked about uh, initiating a special counsel on voter fraud uh, with uh, the Sidney Powell, the disgraced uh, attorney who uh, was famous for releasing the Kraken and the Storm um, lawsuits. Lawsuits don't need to be named. For some reason, this one, uh, she did name her lawsuits, and uh, they failed pitifully in court because they were full of inaccuracies, typos, and uh, un unproven uh, claims of voter fraud. So, it, it, you know, so it does look like we're entering a very chaotic phase. Uh, it's uh, about uh, a month now today. Uh, on January 20th, uh, President-elect Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. His cabinet will take, uh, um, you know, take uh, place. Uh, and, I, and I do believe that. I don't believe any of these actions that the president is doing will uh, affect uh, the outcome of the race or the outcome of the presidency, or whether he even stays one minute longer in the White House than uh, than previously planned, I, I believe it's part of a failed, flailing strategy that uh, um, you know is intent on uh, preserving the president uh, um, from uh, being uh, prosecuted by state and local authorities, and maybe even federal authorities once he leaves the office. I, I believe that's the motivation, anyways. Um, so uh, it's important that we call out this, these actions because uh, when, when these actions happen, they are dangerous to our democracy, as was the Supreme Court lawsuit where a majority of the House GOP uh, signed onto it along with 17 attorney generals. This is dangerous to our democracy. It may not work. Um, and, and it may not even work in the future, but what it does is it undermines our elections and it undermines the rule of law. 
And so it's important to call this out as inappropriate uh, and make sure that anybody that is seen as supporting this type of action, whether it is by silence or through direct action, pays the price at the ballot box the next time because it is um, it is dangerous. And, uh, and, and if our vote means nothing, that they could overturn the will of millions of people based on just the, really when it comes down to the wish of wanting to stay in office, then it, it is a dangerous, uh, dangerous, dangerous uh, slippage with authoritarianism. And uh, I think my next guest, our conversation was pretty prescient about this because uh, he has a book coming out uh, regarding this and uh, we have a great conversation about where this is all headed. So uh, I'm going to end the beginning of this podcast and get into the interview section and please, uh, and I'm so happy that uh, David Dreisen, who's been a wonderful voice, a pro-democracy voice in our community, uh, agreed to join me. So here it is, uh, Chiana City Review, and please be safe. And uh, I hope you're well this uh, holiday season. Bye-bye. And joining me for the interview uh, today is SU Professor David Dreisen. He's uh, a, a SU law professor, uh, a, a wonderful advocate in our community for elections and free elections, and the author of an upcoming book that is uh, uh, aptly titled The Specter of Dictatorship, Judicial Enabling of Pre Presidential Power. And I think we're seeing this live out in <laughs> right, right now uh, as we're speaking. Um, you know, it, it's a very prescient book. I like to uh, invite him on. Professor Dreisen, how are you today? Uh, I'm just fine. And thus, I'm really glad to be here. And I thank you for what you did in this election because you faced unprecedented challenges with all these mail-in ballots that were needed because of COVID and the early voting being ramped up and an unprecedented turnout. And really appreciate your work to make this all come off so smoothly. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it was a team effort down there and we uh, worked really hard and um, you know, COVID changed everything this year. And, and uh, of course, 2020 was already going to be an unprecedented year and, and COVID being a part of it with all the mail-in ballots and all the post-election drama that happened with it uh, has been uh, eye-opening on some changes that we need here in New York uh, to get uh, elections uh, better off. But uh, um, you are uh, talking far beyond New York elections with, with this up, upcoming book um, and talking about uh, you know judicial intervention, your, your judicial enabling of uh, you know, the Unitarian executive. And why don't you tell us a little bit about this book coming out? Well, the book is uh, based on studies of democracy loss in Hungary and Turkey and to some degree Poland primarily. And it points out that autocracies, democracies get converted to autocracies when um, governments give the head of state too much power. And one of the things they do, by the way, is they undermine bipartisan electoral commissions like we have here, you know, where, where it's not just you who's running this, you have a co-commissioners, a Republican, and there are bipartisan teams of canvassers that 
deciding what, how, whether the ballot was properly cast and all that. And they undo these kind of things so they can tilt the electoral playing field. And it's important because in the, for this country, because the Supreme Court is actually uh, empowering the president in a lot of ways, but partly by giving him authority to fire people. And you can see how that's been abused. Uh, a good example in the elections area is President Trump's firing of a cybersecurity official because he said, look, we protected the cybersecurity of the elections. There was no intervention. Trump wanted to send a different message and make allegations of fraud. So he fires the guy to suppress the truth. And that's the kind of thing that goes on that creates autocracies. And I'm worried about the courts uh, having a jurisprudence that tends to free presidents of the restraints that prevent that kind of thing. And, yeah, and we're kind of seeing the end of, at least we think it's the end of this post-election post litigation, post litigation that the president has gone under, which uh, you know many people feel like this is the precursor to um, you know, uh, a, what we're going to be living with, uh, you know, uh, from now on. And, and I know you've been following the Pennsylvania case uh, quite uh, closely. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in luckily right now, the Supreme Court seems to have batted this stuff back. But I think that's more a case of the spread of the election and also the I guess, amateurish uh, legal briefs that were filed uh, on behalf of uh, President Trump. But what, what is your take on all this litigation? What, what is this part of the start of uh, what you warn about in your book? Um, yeah, I, I think so, because you have to understand, as you know, uh, it's not common to litigate elections. It occurs, like, like we saw in, in, in New York 22, when there's small gaps, you know, like a hundred votes or something like that, where the, the kind of irregularities that do occur because of mistakes usually um, mean that the contest, the contest is really in doubt, and then you get litigation. But we have never in my lifetime seen litigation in a contest where there are tens of thousands of votes in all the states and millions across the country separating the outcomes because there's no conceivable way that any of the errors that occur in elections uh, could have affected the vote. And so there were some 60 lawsuits brought about this and they're, they're almost all frivolous. I wanna talk about one Pennsylvania case that's not so frivolous, but they were all, most of them are pretty frivolous to have to challenge the election after it was over and the result was utterly clear. And this was just an assault on the election. And what's really scary to me is I don't think this is really um, so much about getting the courts to intervene to actually change the result, but to get the courts to legitimate Trump's effort to incite an insurrection. Because he was saying before and after the election that this thing was stolen. He said it would be rigged if he lost. And then when he lost, he said, well, it's been stolen. And that kind of incendiary thing is inciting people to threaten election officials in some states. It's dangerous. Um, the one case, so I think the litigation is over. I, I just hope that this incitement and insanity is over because I think the, the greater danger is actually inciting 
violence and insurrection around this and not accept and undoing our tradition of having a peaceful transition to power. Yeah, um, I mean, the, it has, there are many cases that have been reported from election officials uh, that I know throughout the country where they don't even feel like they can go to their cars at night. And that there's, um, we, we saw a, uh, uh, you know, a case where somebody uh, in Houston were they pulled over, an ex-cop pulled over an election official because they thought they had ballots in the back of their truck and it turned out they had air conditioning supplies because they work on the side of the air conditioning and they, I mean, you saw um, heightened security around the electoral college vote this last time about. Um, it, it, it seems like we've uh, kind of opened the door to madness. I mean, you see what happened with the Proud Boys in Washington, D.C., um, who is, you know, in, you know uh, terrorizing Black churches. And the federal government kind of standing by and not doing anything about it because the head of the federal government, the president, thought that this was appropriate. And But you said that there is one case that you're still quite concerned about, and that's... Uh, the one in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and it's not because it's gonna overturn this election, it won't, but the court may hear the case anyway. Um, and what the case is about is advancing a novel theory of constitutional law under which the legislatures, the state legislatures that establish the rules for elections can't be interfered with by the governor of the state or the state courts enforcing voting rights or free speech rights or anything else. And that's an alarming proposition because one of the ways of, you know, what happens with legislatures sometimes is the, whoever controls them tries to bend the rules in a partisan fashion. And one of the, the checks on that that are effective uh, are gubernatorial vetoes sometimes and state courts enforcing um, free speech protections and voting rights protections. And so that they're interested in that issue. And so I think that case may yet get decided, albeit long after Joe Biden becomes president. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that we're really concerned with with the new Roberts Court. The, and really, it may not even be Roberts Court anymore. It may be uh, Gorsuch's Court or, or, or Kavanaugh's Court because it's so uh, far to the right, you know, that, um, and, and voting rights were already a, uh, a commodity under Ro Robert's court that uh, was under attack. Uh, and now we, you know, we were really scared about the Texas lawsuit with the 17 attorney generals and the 106 Republican, um, you know, congressmen signing on to it. But really, that was a frivolous suit that was going nowhere quite fast because they didn't have standing. But this Pennsylvania suit, the, it, and it has been rejected by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Is that correct? Yeah, well, the whole thing arises from a ruling from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Because what, what all this what all this about, which something should be just a tempest in a teapot that nobody cares about, was a fairly trivial decision of the state, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to extend the absentee balloting deadline for receipt for three days after the election day because the deadlines they had for applying 
didn't work so well when you got postal slowdown. So there was just this minor adjustment to deal with the postal slowdown. But, um, you know, so they litigated that. Supreme Court refused to issue any orders changing anything about that in any significant way. But the, the claim is that the, the state Supreme Court can't alter the legislature's decisions about deadlines. And that implicates the sort of grand structural constitutional issue that the court remains interested in, even though it was not gonna do anything crazy like actually interfere with the, the election. And by the way, the number of votes at stake in this is small. I mean, there's tens of thousands of votes separating Biden from Trump in this election, only a few hundred that were filed between election day and this extended deadline. And so yeah, so I mean, we're used to this in New York where we have several days after election day to have our ballots received, but many states had election day as their receipt day or the day before. And in response to COVID, um, sometimes legislators worked and sometimes courts worked to extend and sometimes it was a governor's executive order to extend those deadlines, um, especially considering sometimes these extensions have to happen in the middle of a crisis that happens at a time where a legislature couldn't meet if they wanted to, either they're out of session or um, it's an emergency. And so for the Supreme Court to say that a governor and a court has no roles in overruling your legislature, then we would be at the mercy of um, the state legislatures and, and and not be able to have any kind of uh, uh, you know emergency powers for pandemics or whatever. You know, Hurricane Sandy was a, a a perfect example of something that happened in New York that the governor issued many executive orders the days after to make sure people could still vote. So you're saying that if the Supreme Court takes this on, the, those powers may no longer exist. Well, it depends on how they rule, but if they rule the wrong way, they might, yeah, it might not exist. And, you know, normally we say it's up to the people of the state how they want to structure the state government. They do that through their state constitutions. And who gets the final say? It's usually courts, but uh, the governor has a veto power in just about every state. And that's not supposed to be the federal court's business. The states are supposed to have some rights to determine uh, how they wanna be run. And by the way, the other thing that this would get rid of is there are some states where uh, they have um, by referendum, Arizona's one, they've established an electoral commission. It's a citizen election commission that's supposed to prevent the rigging of electoral districts. So you can get rid of this problem of incumbents trying to uh, get themselves in office forever by by gerrymandering the election districts, drawing lines to favor keeping them in power. And uh, we know a little that, bit about that here in Onondaga County. <laughs> well, we do this, you know, unfortunately, the existing system hasn't, and we're struggling with that here, right? There was a, you know, I feel listeners may, may or may not know this, but you know, just Dustin, um, all of the legislators the last time around, or just about all of them, both parties committed to having a nonpartisan electoral commission. Uh, commission to do the districting. So it wouldn't be about entrenching existing people in power. Then the Republicans in the legislature reneged on this promise and they're not doing it. And so we face another possibility of a partisan rigging of elections. And this has been an ongoing problem, but in the states where they've had success, 
one of the ways they've done that is they, the citizens have just overrode the legislatures through referendum processes, which are not so common in the East, but there are a lot of them in the West. And, you know, created a better structure. And this would, um, this would, um, and, and, you know, I'm worried about this because I see this as in the, in the context of what I've been writing about in the book, that one of the ways the gerrymandering is one of the techniques that autocrats use to stay in power. And, and um, that hasn't happened here, but I think we've seen that we can't take for granted that we'll never have another moment where the stars align to make that happen. It's, 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 it's in the long term, a lot of democracies have perished. And it's kind of the partisan polarization that we see that actually creates the preconditions for that. And you, yeah, you said these uh, nonpartisan redistricting commissions are more popular out West and you're right, but the city of Syracuse will be enacting that. They already had a charter change and hopefully they're enacting the enabling legislation tomorrow on Monday. So we will have a little bit of a victory here inside the city of Syracuse, Onondaga County, not so much. Uh, the county legislature didn't do that. And uh, we're going to continue to advocate for that until we, until we get uh, better maps. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but you, yeah, so this Supreme Court decision, if it comes, could imperil even those types of uh, well, nonpartisan redistricting commissions. What it would mean is you have to get the legislature to authorize it. And, and so you could still have that, but you'd have to have the legislature authorize it. And that's and and one of the ways that the problem of the legislature being captured by a party that's too partisan has overcome that is through these referenda that would be taken off the table. Um, so it wouldn't be impossible, but it would be harder to take one of the tools away for, for doing that in some states. So do you think you know, I think everybody's wondering about this question is, you know, we've lived through this unprecedented year with an unprecedented presidency in Donald Trump. And it looks like we're coming towards the end of the presidency, uh, but the old adage, you know, the old, maybe a new adage is that Trump may be gone, but Trumpism isn't going to go anywhere. And with 100 or, you know, a majority of the House caucus signing on to some of these frivolous suits, and 17 attorney generals and, um, you know, legislators uh, musing that they uh, are thinking about, you know, putting up their own slates, uh, you know, and declaring the, the elections void, uh, you know, and, and now we hear that on January 6th, we may see protests that, uh, you know, uh, the challenge to uh, seating or, or the results of the electors um, you know, and, and of course the president's 60 lawsuits plus, you know, uh, feeds into all that. Are, is this a one-off? Are we going to recover from this? Or is this something that is just the beginning of a very dark period for our democracy? Well, unless there's bipartisan leadership to restore the eroded faith in our democracy, it can be a long-term problem. And the reason I say this is, is Trump's campaign didn't come out of nowhere. Unfortunately, the Republican Party for years has been telling people that there's lots of electoral fraud 
as a means of changing the electoral rules to make it harder for people to vote or fighting off efforts by Democrats to make it easier to vote. And these claims have always been bogus. That is, there's precious little fraud in recent decades, almost none. It's practically non-existent. There's one case I can think of in North Carolina, but all, all the election experts say this. Justice Scalia said this in an opinion. Um, the lead, uh, Ginsburg, I forget his first name, the, a leading Republican attorney in election has said, look, we've been looking for voter fraud for 20 years, we don't find it. And so, for, so a lot of voters uh, believe that there is electoral fraud out there. And so when Trump came and said, this has been stolen from me, that was credible to a lot of people. And there's a substantial number of people, not a majority, but a substantial number who believe the election was stolen. And if, if the Republican party continues to hammer an election fraud theme and exaggerate this, um, I'm afraid that the next time an election is close, there won't be a peaceful transition of power. I mean, the, the thankful, this was not a close election and you see how much strife there is. But imagine if you have somebody who's determined to win at all costs, whether it's Trump again or somebody else, and it really is a close election. It's one, it's one like we had with Bush versus Gore. There really were a few hundred seats and the resolution of conflicts about how, how to resolve that was contestable. You know, will people walk away and just accept what the authorities say? They're gonna say, no, it's stolen. This was a deliberate, you know, so I, I think we're, I, I don't think this is gonna vanish the minute Trump goes out of office. There needs to be a rededication to democracy and a willingness to make it easier to vote, to stop making false accusations of fraud. I mean, we have checks in place. That North Carolina case, the one thing that there was fraud, they caught it and they corrected it. And it was unusual. Um, you know, and you have all these safeguards in place. You check the signatures against the signatures of the voting rolls. It's not, it's not foolproof. There may be a few errors in elections, but it's a pretty, there are lots of ways of improving the system, but this claim that there's that the system is rife with fraud is just a lie and it undermines democracy. Yeah, and it's been undermining it for, as you said, you know, really since the 19, you know, I mean, rampant talk of voter fraud has long been a anecdotal discussion amongst uh, Republican lawmakers for, you know, since, well, you know, since the Voting Rights Act. I mean, they, they use that for reasons to fight against that, but uh, really, I, I feel like it's really ramped up since the, uh, you know, 1994, uh, you know, contract uh, on or contract for America, uh, you know, House Republicans and Newt Gingrich uh, revolution is really, you know, that's when voting ID laws were starting to be put in place, and then. And then once Shelby County came down, uh, you know, in the in the two thousands and and really gutted the the um, section five of the Voting Rights Act, I think that's where you know this um, these claims of voter fraud turned into action that you know really created uh, some suppressive voting systems, um, you know, in in the United States, and and then you know it it, it got to the point where just claims of voter fraud were 
uh, reason enough to act in a way that would suppress the other side's votes. Yeah, well, you know, actually the real voter suppression started with the Democratic Party during the Civil War. Yeah. And the Democratic Party created what amounts to an autocracy where half of our citizens were disenfranchised at, from, and, and that system persisted throughout the 20th century on, until with much bloodshed, we overturned it. And then for a period beginning in around 1965, we actually had a bipartisan consensus where both parties were supportive of voting rights and the Supreme Court and the Shelby decision you mentioned uh, undid that. They actually struck down a key voting rights protection and undid the bipartisan consensus. And then unfortunately some Republicans, whether they were frightened by memories of past democratic fraud or uh, just being opportunistic did start after a period getting into this, you know, using innuendo about fraud to justify voting restrictions or at least not making voting too easy. And, you know, so we've been headed back to these dark days um, since then. And, you know, the hope is that maybe this will frighten people into some sense and that we can get back to this where we work together on this and try to have reasonable rules, make the electoral system better, but without uh, seizing on every irregularity or mistake to claim that there's some kind of conspiracy at work when things aren't perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, David, thank you uh, so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Uh, you know, I, I always look forward to your uh, letters to the editor and insertings.com and you're a great voice in our community, a pro-democracy voice, and we always need pro-democracy voices out there uh, because it seems like the other side's just loud enough to drown us out sometimes. And so we have to be a little bit louder, I think. Uh, well, I, pre <laughs> What's that? I appreciate your leadership in this community and the work you do you know, to keep a clean election process, encouraging voters, and I think that's great. Well, uh, thank you again for coming on. Um, uh, we will, uh, uh, I'll be back here uh, on Tuesday with our quick commissioner in a car. Uh, it's Christmas week, but we're gonna to continue to do some of these podcasts. Uh, and then on Christmas Eve, on uh, the 24th, we'll air on Thursday morning, uh, I'll have, uh, Assembly member Charles Levine, who is the elections chair for the assembly, and he's going to have uh, a nice discussion with me about uh, what we're, you know, what what we see in New York elections and what we'd like to improve uh, over uh, the next uh, uh, session that's coming up at the turn of the year. So thank you very much, and uh, I enjoyed our discussion, uh, Professor Dryson, and I hope to see you again very shortly. And I hope to see all of you again very shortly. But in the meantime, please wear a mask, be socially distanced, stay safe, and let's fight this virus. All right. Bye-bye.